Today's sponsor is Audible.com, the leading provider of audiobooks and audio delights of all kinds. If you are a fan of It's That Episode, you are able to get a free audio download if you go to audiblepodcast.com slash Craig Rowan. The episode of You Can't Do That on Television that we watched today is called Outer Space, and you can get 2001 A Space Odyssey, the book by Arthur C. Clarke on audible.com. For free on me, go to audiblepodcast.com slash Craig Rowan, download that or over 150,000 other books and get a, a free download, a free 30 days, and, and there's no reason not to do it. You're, you're a friend of mine. You use my name to your benefit. All right, let's get to the show. Well, it's that episode, not that episode, not that episode, it's that episode, it's that episode with Craig Rowan. Welcome to It's That Episode, the podcast where I, Craig Rowan, invite a guest over to my apartment. We watch any TV show they choose. We watch it, we talk about it, we talk about a bunch of other crap. Today I'm very excited because my guest today, who is joining me via Skype, is a writer from You Can't Do That on Television, and his name is Robert Black. Welcome, Robert. Hey, thank you. Uh, and uh, thank you for uh, inviting me here, virtually speaking. Virtually. I can't, the technology is messed up. I can't even see you. So I'll never know what a true writer of uh, You Can't Do That on Television looks like, but that's okay. We'll battle on. It's probably a good thing. Yeah, I've heard uh, they are hideous. Not going to comment on that. <laughs> okay. So um, basically, to give a little bit of background on this episode of getting you on this show, um, I did an episode a couple uh, months back, I believe, where uh, Mike still came on. We watched an episode of You Can't Do That on Television. We were both big fans growing up um, of that show. And then I posted the show, and then you got in touch with me, and uh, you said that you used to write on the show. That's right. It's all Google's fault. Google, uh, Google let me know about your show, and I, I listened to it, and uh, I thought it was great. I thought it was it's, – it's fun for me to, to uh, hear from uh, people who watched the show when they were kids and, and uh, see what they think now. If I've read correctly, I did a little bit of research, as I do, and uh, I found um – through your site that it, you were actually a fan of You Can't Do That on Television before you ever wrote on the show. Is that right? Yes. Yes, I was. Absolutely. Um, it was something, uh, this was back in, in the Stone Age when uh, not everybody had cable TV, and I was away at, uh, at college, and uh, I would come home on uh, vacations, and, and there was this new cable, my parents had just gotten cable TV, and uh, there was uh, this show on uh, called You Can't Do That on Television with kids uh, dumping uh, green slime, getting green slime dumped on them and, and things like that. And uh, it looked a lot like uh, a show that I had seen when I was a little kid called Rowan and Martin's Laugh-In. Uh, they didn't have green slime, but they did have water. When Judy Carn said, sock it to me, she got water thrown on her. And, and at the end, they had this wall with little doors in it and people popped out of the wall and told jokes and then here on you can't do that on television they had uh lockers and and things and so uh yeah i started watching it uh pretty much as soon as i saw all that i saw it it looked like something uh, that i'd like 
So, and then you as a fan actually contacted the show, which mm-hmm. was, which I believe, so the show was up in Ottawa, Canada. Is that right? Yes. So, so where are you from? I'm from Indianapolis originally. And uh, at the time I was going to school in, in Nashville, Tennessee, I was at Vanderbilt. And so, and we didn't have any internet. So all this had to be done by uh, mail, snail mail. And and telephones and stuff, but yeah, um, I've never even heard of snail mail or telephones. I don't know what you're referencing. They were they were amazing. Awesome. I mean, the things we've given up in, across the decades. Uh, you kids have no idea. I'm I'm very privileged to only deal in digital now. Um, <laughs> what did you send the producers of You Can't Do That on Television when you were going to college? Um, actually. Um, uh, the first thing I did first first I should mention that that uh, writing for television was something that I had wanted to do since I was a little kid and I had done my own stories for Star Trek and and things like that and so and I had a copy of and I even uh, brought a prop and since you can't see me um, you can't tell that I'm holding it up here but neither can your listeners so I guess I'm just holding it up uh, for myself. Um, on uh, the original Star Trek, there was a, an episode uh, with the Tribbles, the little fuzzy fluff balls that multiplied until millions of them fell on Captain Kirk's head. Right. It sounds familiar. Okay. Yes. That, um, that was written by uh, a man named David Gerald, who at the time was 22 years old and a grad student at USC. And after his episode got made and and uh, was so successful, it was a big hit. Um, he wrote a book about how he did that, and so that was kind of my how-to guide for uh, getting in touch with uh, with you can't do that on television. Wow, uh, that's a, that's amazing! So he basically wrote like an instructional book for people like <laughs> just like you. Just like me. And you actually and, followed the instructions and they and actually I, worked. Yeah, well, I didn't, get, I didn't get an agent. I didn't need one because I was dealing with this little TV station up in Canada instead of in, in Hollywood. But otherwise, yeah, I followed it. Um, I wrote my own uh, script. I, I researched where to send it to, basically looking at the credits and reading, you know, Carlton Productions, Ottawa, Canada. And went to the library. You know, we didn't have the internet, so you had to go and look in these things called books, and and sounds, find. Sounds boring. That's right. <laughs> we didn't know we were. We didn't know we were missing. Uh, but yeah, I I wrote a script. I actually wrote um, I wrote a first one and I wrote a second one. But I sent him the first one uh, to Roger Price, the producer. And Roger, uh, Roger Price was the guy who created the show. Yes. Is that right? Yes. He, uh, it took four months for him to get back to me. And uh, at the time, he, uh, this, was, uh, this was in uh, the end of 1984. And uh, at that time, uh, they were getting ready to take Christine McGlade out of the show. Christine McGlade, the star, the one that is called Moose, but nobody ever called her that to her face. Um, that would be a grave insult, I believe. Well, it's it. I, apparently, it came from her family, and they they started calling her that because she's a very small person. Um, 
So it's kind of a bit of, you know, reverse comedy. Um, you could almost say an introduction to the opposite. Yes, exactly. Uh, That's my one uh, cheesy, you can't do that on television reference that I'll make right hey, now. Works for me. They were getting ready to take her out and they were going to put Alistair Gillis as the, the new host. He told me, uh, he says, this looks like a pretty good script, but not quite there yet. And he gave me some pointers, but uh, above all, I had to take Christine out and make Alistair the star. So I did that and sent it off. And then it was another four months. Uh, then in, uh, in, so this is, I sent it off originally in, in August of 84 and now we're to April of 85. And I'm thinking, yeah, this is the end of the road. It's never going to, nothing's ever going to come out of this. And, um, something really depressing had happened to me the night before. I don't, I don't remember what, probably a good thing. Um, but I'm, that's so intriguing that I wish you remembered (laughs) it. Oh, maybe I do remember it. It's in the dark recesses. Yes. Um, but I'm, I'm getting up for class. I hear the phone ring. My roommate comes over and tells me, Bob, it's that guy from that TV show. (laughs) And so I, you know, then I'm awake and I get the phone and, uh, not only did he buy, I'd sent him, but he hired me right there to write two more because I had I had sent him sketches for two other ideas. I said, hey, here's a half dozen sketches for this and here's a half dozen sketches for that. Maybe I could turn those into episodes. And he hired me to write those two. And, and one of them is uh, the one that's, that's featured uh, today is the Outer Space episode was one of those. But then I had to put Christine back in because she was back. She ended up staying. Yes. Hi. Unless you're from another planet, you've probably guessed by now that this week's out-of-this-world episode, if you can't do that on television, is all about outer space and space travel and uh, weird alien beings. <laughs> Dougie, what, are you going to a Star Trek convention or something? No, I'm just waiting for the aliens to arrive. They said they'd be here any minute. But of course, they do have a few thousand light years to travel. You know, Dougie, my boy, I think that watching too much television has fried your little brain. Yeah, yeah, just, just a second. I'm getting some strange voices on my headphones, and they mentioned your name, Dougie. What do they say? They stopped at Alpha Centauri for breakfast, whoever they are. Boy, those guys must be pretty big eaters. <laughs> this is a little secret code you got amongst you and your little friends? Uh, no. Dougie insists that he's been communicating with aliens. <laughs> and the moon is made of green cheese. <laughs> Ross, everybody knows the moon is made of rock. And anyway, the moon did have a lot of cheese on it. But my friends ate most of it. Oh. <laughs> What's wrong? Oh, oh I, think, I think one of Dougie's friends belched. <laughs> when you found out that they accepted... Your, your script, like, what was your reaction? It must have been pretty amazing. <laughs> I mean, like, that, I mean, let's be honest. You're, you're a fan of the show. You buy this book that says, <laughs> hey, maybe you can get a job in TV if you do what I did. You sent mm-hmm. in a script. You waited altogether eight months. Eight months. 
And then you get a phone call from the creator of the show, Roger Price, and he says, good job, you're good to go. I mean, what was, how did that, how did you re- it, react? It was, it was a really good day. <laughs> and did it wash away the depression from the night before? Or was that depression? Yes, it was the, or was the depression just pushed back a little bit? No, 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 no. It Good. was, I had, I had something new to live for. That's great. Well, that's amazing. And uh, so then after that, did you actually move to Tennessee? I mean, from Tennessee to uh, Canada or were you able to write right from where you were? Um, I spent, I spent the summer. Uh, I had the most awesome summer job ever. Uh, I got to go up for six weeks to Ottawa and uh, work on the set as the script doctor Basically, you know, if something was bombing, they said, you know, the script sucks, fix it. So, so the episode we watched uh, today was um, is outer is outer space. So I I checked it out. You watched it, I assume as well. Mm-hmm. When was the last time that you watched this episode? Your um, your, your first episode to air in nineteen eighty five. In nineteen eighty five, the last time I watched it was a few years ago. I forget how many. Um, when I when I transferred all my episodes off my videotapes to to digital, and and I actually uh, put them online. Um, don't tell Viacom. And uh, they they they're after you already. Knowing Viacom, well, I've, I I actually got banned from YouTube for uh, posting my blooper reels. Whoa and. Yeah. And I had to come in YouTube with another uh, with another email address and another username, and I did not put the blooper reels back up, but somebody else did. So if you go to if you go to YouTube and and search for you can't do that on television bloopers, uh, you'll find my blooper reels from '84 and '85. The uh, but the when I did that a few years ago when I transferred them to digital, that was the last time I watched them. So. Um... What's it like looking back? I mean, now it's, uh, you know, 28 years later. Eight um, years later. How, first of all, how do you think it holds up? Um, and uh, did you have any memories that it brought back from, from that time? Oh, I got a ton. Um, the first thing that, that kind of occurs to me is, is, is that uh, I noticed a lot of things that I've learned not to do as a writer <laughs> over the past 28 years. It's like, I know better than to do that now. Oh, uh, like what's an example of that from this episode? Uh, have characters talk too much and, and explain too much. Uh, I don't do that as much now. And nowadays, I write. I still write for for kids today. I write books, and my characters today do not explain things in big blocks mm-hmm. the way the way uh, some of my characters did uh, back in 1985. Um, and you would think, since I'm writing a book which has kind of an educational slant to it, I, that would be more likely to have the characters talk in big blocks. But but I've actually learned to do it less. That that actually works better. Well, one thing about it that I've noticed from the show watching these two episodes recently is that it's like, it's very presentational, you know? So I feel like even though they do talk a lot, it it fits in with the sort of the style of the show. Mm -hmm. 
So I I I I wouldn't be too hard on yourself looking back because okay. I, I enjoyed it. Okay, good is is what I'm saying. Um, and this, let me ask you this too: It's like watching this episode um, and seeing the other episode. There are tons of recurring bits. Mm-hmm. You know the stuff. Uh, obviously, like you mentioned, the lockers. Um, being on the main set, detention, uh, the classroom, Barth Burger, all that stuff, the firing squad, were those things that would eventually there would be the ability to add other running bits, or, or how, how did that work writing for for that? Um, they had they had a set, you know, they had a group of standing sets, they had a group of of uh, regular characters that Les Lie played, and. Uh, you know, all of that costs money. So, to that, you got to have a, a darn good reason to do it. Um, one thing about the outer space shows is they uh, they built me a space shuttle. I was amazed. Um, I had just seen the the war episode where they had the two kids in the foxhole with smoke bombs going off, and right. I thought, well, if they could if they could build a foxhole for war, maybe they can build me a space shuttle for for outer space, and they did. And um, it's kind of a budget space shuttle. And they also, um, while I was there, um, that set was the last time they used the, the video arcade, Blips Arcade. And we added the, uh, the campground set. And uh, that was actually done for me, too. I, I, that was in my first script, uh, Fears and Anxieties. And I had one really not very good uh, sketch on this camp on this campout set, and and I was really surprised that they would spend the money to build this thing. And uh, everybody looked at the set once it was there, and they said, "Wow, this is a really great set. We should do more with it." And Roger says, "Go write some more." So I I whipped out about three, four, five more campground sets. Uh, sketches for the various episodes. We put one in wildlife and we put one in world records and we put one somewhere else. Um, and, and then they brought it back after that. So, so there's an example of, of one, one recurring set going away and, and they would do that. They would add things. Personally, I think they never should have given Roger a bathroom set because it was too tempting for him. All the all the bathroom humor came from Roger Price. Roger Price was like about probably about the age that I am now, but he was like an eight year old boy a lot of times when it came to writing. Well, I have to say, as a twenty nine year old man, seeing the the like in, in this episode, uh, the kids who are in the spaceship they have to go to the bathroom and they can't, and they're told to cross their legs. And mm-hmm. I, I enjoy bathroom humor very much, so I appreciate. Oh, good. Houston, this is Columbia. Uh, we seem to have a problem up here. What's the trouble, Columbia? The bathroom doesn't work, Houston. Bodily waste disposal system malfunction. That's toughy, guys. That'll take a while. You're just going to have to do without it until you get back to Earth. Houston, we're going to be up here for five days. Okay, stand by. I have emergency instructions for bodily waste disposal process. Take your left leg. Raise it 16.5 centimeters. Cross it over your right leg. And hold on tight. 
watching this show, it's like it's a lot of the similar uh, scenery, similar same characters. Did that become difficult as time went on to be like, okay, what more can we get out of this set or these characters? As you know, uh, wh- how did you stop from getting tired of this of those setups? Basically, you look for different ways to to play with the format. And um, I remember uh, in uh, when you and and Mike did the uh, divorce episode, you were talking about how they were playing with the format, where they had the the producer and his wife getting a divorce, and half half of everything was missing, and so they were playing with the format there. And and that's basically what you have to do is is you have to come up with ways to to reverse expectations. Um, there was there was one time uh, when I actually had uh, a dungeon sketch where Alistair gets out of the dungeon and he doesn't want to leave because the 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 Nazi guy says, "Oh, you don't have a place to live and you don't have a job and it'll be impossible." <laughs> you know, and Alistair says, "Well, I don't have to leave, do I?" And uh, I've I've subsequently realized that that was. Um, me expressing uh, graduating from college. Uh, that was the Bob graduates from college uh, sketch. Well, so so uh, going back to that, um, you worked on this show during the summer, so did you go back to school to finish up? I, I went back to school to finish up. Everybody told, everybody told me I needed to go back to school and finish up. I want to, but you know, now that I'm older and wiser... Uh, I'm grateful that I did. And did you you uh, did you work on the show again after you graduated? I wrote how many episodes did I write after I left? Three or four more. And I had hoped that uh, that I would be able to go back up and and start working up there after I graduated. But but then um, things happened. And and the show went on its hiatus, and so there was no show. So I had nowhere to go. You made that very ominous. So I have to ask, what, why, what happened? Um, Roger Price uh, sold a, a TV series idea to Hollywood. Um, it was called Morning Star, Evening Star. You can go to the IMDb and and look it up. Uh, that's probably the only way you've heard about it. Um, and, uh, it was one thing you have to understand about Roger Price and, and, uh, this will make a lot of things make a lot more sense for you can't do that on television is, is one of Roger Price's, uh, main themes is that children are the most discriminated against minority in the world is that, that, you know, you talk about, you know, this ethnicity or that religion or whatever, that's nothing compared to the way children are discriminated against. That's the theme that runs through, you can't do that on television. And um, and then the corollary to that is that the second most discriminated against group are the elderly. So Morning Star, Evening Star, the premise is that uh, an orphanage burns down and the town has no place to put the kids so they stuff them into a retirement home with a bunch of elderly people, uh, and hijinks ensue. Um, and if you if you know Roger Price, you can see that this is his you know social commentary. 
But what happened was uh, Fred Silverman and Earl Hamner got a hold of it and said, gee, we can take all these cute kids and pair them up with a bunch of old, familiar, favorite stars from the past, and it'll be so heartwarming and everybody will love it. And it ran for two or three episodes in the summer, and that was it. Total bummer. Total bummer. And, and of course, Roger was completely locked out of this because he was only the, the creator. And, and in Hollywood, that's what happens to show creators. They get locked out of the shows they create. And at this point, uh, you know, he'd gotten all his hopes up that this was going to be his chance to go to Hollywood. And because um, he'd been in Ottawa for quite a long time and, and his production company idea in Toronto with Turkey Television hadn't worked out. So he was hoping for something new in his career and uh, it all fell apart. And so he left. He went to France and wrote movie screenplays for two years. And they didn't want to show, do the show without him, so no more show. My interest has been quenched, and okay. uh, it wasn't quite as salacious as I had hoped, but it's still interesting nonetheless. Hey, I'm a children's writer. How salacious <laughs> do you want? I'm just kidding. Um, so, um, also, I wanted to ask, like, this show, I mean, the fact that this small show from Ottawa um got as big as it did that you know i as a child in new york was watching people were watching all across the united states all across it was a big hit so when you worked on the show what level of popularity would you say you know when when say um this uh outer space episode aired how big uh, where was this in the series this was right when the show was hitting its peak this, this was when Alistair was appearing in the Teeny Bopper magazines and they were doing a You Can't Do That on Television comic strip and this was the time that the green slime shampoo uh, appeared on store shelves and, and the show had, there hadn't been any new episodes for quite a while and so the, the new episodes were, were very, you know, people were looking forward to them. And so I'd say, you know, I, I hit the show right at the right time. I, I came along at the, the perfect time to be, to be associated with it. That, that's pretty, yeah. you hit the sweet spot. I hit the sweet spot. But the interesting thing is that the show was virtually unknown in Canada. Um, you, it, was on, it was on the CTV network on Saturday mornings, and that was it. You know, it was on once a week, not, you know, Three, three or four times a day, like Nickelodeon was running it, and and so the kids could walk around, and it wasn't like they were, you know, I live in Southern California where I've seen, you know, TV actors, you know, there are TV actors who go to my church and read the lesson on Sunday. <laughs> uh, it wasn't like that uh, in Ottawa. Nobody knew who they were. The only the only time the kids got recognized was when there were American tourists with kids in town. And so it was. It was not a big deal up there. And and actually, the the parents of the kids actually liked that. Um, yeah, I was going to say that 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 was probably good for their egos not to get too big by being a little bit away from the the craziness. Yes, definitely. Otherwise, they would have had, turned into the Beatles and gotten into uh, Hare Krishna and stuff like that. That's a scary thought. You, you, Although um, one of them has become a college professor now, so 
That's that's almost like a Hare Krishna. Yeah, pretty much. Um, more or less, I guess. I don't know. Uh, um, there depends are, on college. Um, so were there any parts in, in Outer Space, uh, the episode, that you specifically remember? Like, the, Was there anything in that episode that you are a fan of, like uh, a certain sketch that you're glad you were able to write or, or a running gag that you're like, oh, th- this was important to me that I got to do this? I was... I, I loved the space shuttle. The space shuttle was was really great, and uh, it was it was neat how they set. Every, I got to see how they set everything up. Like I said, they used a, a spare console and uh, for the control panel, um, and uh, you know, there's the one bit where the kids are complaining because they have to take the space sickness test with Barth burgers, which make them sick anyway, and then Barth floats by outside the window. Um, Les Lai, you know, he obviously he did the voice for Mission Control. And and since he's going to float by the window dressed as Barth, he has to wear the Barth costume all day. So it was very funny to, to look over and see him sitting in a chair next to a microphone, you know, and Barth sitting there going, Roger, this is Billy Bob Hank Jr. talking to the space shuttle, you know, it, the gift, the genius of Les Lai. Yeah, he was he was pretty amazing. Um, he was. Did you have any uh, on this onset stories about Les Lai? Les Les Lai was fantastic. Uh, I think I told you in, when I when I uh, wrote to you that that he had he had come up through the ranks uh, with Rich Little, and uh, Rich Little went to Hollywood and became big star and Les Lai stayed home in Canada and, and had a real life and uh, worked at the at the TV station in Ottawa. He and a, he and a friend had another kids show called Willie and Floyd, which is basically the two of them dressed up in goofy costumes, screwing around for half an hour. Um, and he, he, it was, uh, it was quite an experience to see him in action. Um, he could ad lib uh, fantastically, and he would work with the kids and teach them to to do it as well. Um, there was a there was this one time when we had uh, uh, when we had Abby Haggard, who normally plays mom, uh, dressed up as the grandma, and. Uh, the two of them would try to, to top each other sometimes. And there's the one bit where grandma has brought along the liver and lima beans that dad wouldn't eat when he was a kid. And she's been hanging on to them all this time. And she, in, during the rehearsal, she puts the plate down and says, now you eat this young man there, young boys in China who would kill for this. And, and Les says, I don't care if there are young girls in China. So... So then, when we uh, when we actually shot the take, and this time she says, "Now you eat this, young man. There are young people in China who are starving," and and without missing a beat, you know, not having to break the take or anything, Les says, "I don't care if there are animals in China who wouldn't be, you know, who'd love to eat this." He would do that, and and just. Very quick-witted. He'd, he'd seen it all, and, and he'd done it all, and he was willing to share his gifts with these people. Uh, and it's, 
it was it was something. Yeah, he was he's definitely as sharp as attack, and you can tell as I said in the previous the episode where I watched with Mike uh, with Mike Still. When I was a kid, I didn't know that it was one actor. I thought it was a whole cast, and uh, I mean, even as a kid, I mean, I'm you know to believe that is pretty remarkable. Um, mm-hmm. d- did he? Did you um, sense with him that he was content staying in Canada, not going to chase the dream in L.A., or do you know if he had any experience there? Um, you know, I, it's been so long since I looked him up online that I don't know what sort of experience he had, but he seemed he seemed happy. He seemed happy with his family. He had grandkids and, and, and everything. Um, and like I, like I said, he liked working with the 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 kids in the cast and uh the ones that he would uh bond especially with were the ones who would learn from him and 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 do things um now i have to ask because anything that mentions you can't do that on television has the mandatory mention of alanis morissette um but who exactly but I've seen. I think I've heard of her. But I've seen. I've her once. <laughs> so I, I've read online that you have this thing, the distinction of being the only person ever to get Atlantis Morissette slimed. That's correct. Um, she was only she was only slimed once, and it was in my show. Um, the The original draft of that sketch had somebody else there because I hadn't met Alanis yet and they hadn't put Alanis in. They would change the lineup of the, of the show and, and put different kids in. So uh, Alanis was not in the original, but, but the joke was, you know, what can we name our band? I don't know. Green slime falls down. Hey, let's name our band the green slimes. So I'm claiming it. And you also mentioned what the band, so that might have inspired her to become a musician and sing in a band and become a big star. I, I think it's more likely that Roger knew she was interested in that already, and that's why he put her in the show. No, I, I assume the 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 former that you okay. you you did it. Well, um, well, we'll get Roger on the phone and, and ask him. Um, when she, when she hit it big, were you like, whoa, that's, I know her. I was, um, I was actually at work. I, I, uh, was a design engineer building kitchen appliances and there I was trying to figure out how to cook muffins more evenly. And, and, uh, one of my friends came in and and said, Hey, have you heard about this new rock star? And she sings this really nasty song. And she was on, you can't do that on television. And I couldn't, I didn't know who it was. <laughs> I couldn't figure it out originally. And it, it took, because um, I asked him, I said, which one is it? And, and he couldn't remember originally. <laughs> so it, it took, it took uh, some time. It wasn't until later that day that I finally figured out who it was. And it's like, oh, yeah, Alanis. And um, Alanis had not been on the set when I was there in 1985, I made I made one visit back on the set in 1986, and she was there uh, that day. And uh, so I met her then. And I remember um, Vanessa was on the set that day too, and and the two of them were, you know, palling around when they weren't shooting. And I knew Vanessa was 14 because I had known her from the year before. 
And I just assumed that Alanis was 14, too. I mean, they looked about the same age, about the same age. And then she says, no, I'm 12. I was like, really? <laughs> okay. So that was my memory of, of Alanis. That was, that, that was the extent of my Alanis experience. But you knew she was wise beyond her years. She, yes. She was an old soul. Yes. And are you, yes. Were, were you a fan of her uh, music when it came out? Or did you buy Jagged Little Pill? I did. And it's still on my shelf. Uh, hasn't been played in a while, but I did. That, and, I own that record, too. So, <laughs> And um, when, I, uh, when I do uh, author visits now with my books, um, as kind of an introduction to where I came from as a writer, I, I bring out the, the green slime of Alanis. That's, that's kind of my calling card. And, of course, the kids I'm talking to weren't even born yet when this show was on. Uh, but the the teachers all remember it. And the teachers are all sitting there grinning at me because I've, I've given them a bit of nostalgia for the day. That's pretty great. And then there's one other, I feel, notable uh, alumni of the show, who uh, Bill Prady, who co-created The Big Bang Theory. Yes. Any experience with, uh, with Bill? I, I never met him. Uh, he was in New York. He and I were writing for the show at about the same time, and I actually uh, rewrote him. So, so there's two things I can put on my resume for uh, for posterity: is I, I green signed Alanis Morissette and I rewrote Bill Prady. Um, he and his partner wrote three scripts: um, Relatives, Revenge, and Fairy Tales, Myths, and Legends. They were, they were decent scripts, but they were very much generic comedy scripts. Um, like there was a, you know, there was a part for a kid named Alistair saying things, and it could have been any kid who was playing a part for a character named Alistair. It wasn't Alistair, and and so um, Roger had one team of writers rework it and then I did some reworking on it and then he did some reworking on it they got they got rewrote pretty extensively to kind of give them the 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 authentic you can't do that on television flavor they needed your voice to make it fit in the canon yes um so you you also in addition to inspiring Alanis Morissette to become a rock star you schooled bill bill brady yes i did and Uh, for that you should be proud yes i should or should i say bazinga i don't know what that means but i think that's a catchphrase either but it's from that's from that's from big bang theory but i don't really know what it means okay i don't i have a i have a friend who, who absolutely adores big bang theory and i've never watched it um so speaking of catchphrases I wanted to do a quick little thing. I just want to see how, if you could just try to rattle off as many from the show as you can um, remember from uh, You Can't Do That on Television. Okay. Uh, Barth said, I heard that. (laughs) And who do you think's in the burgers? Actually, the kids said that. Um, We actually, you asked earlier about how we kept... um, how we kept the, uh, the the recurring sets fresh, and one of the ways we did it was to give 
you know, go through cycles of new gags. So by the time I got there, uh, who do the, who do you think's in the burgers was uh, was on the way out? That was gone. And, and and coming in was Barth's. Where do you think Barth gets his special sauce with the bucket when the kids throw up? <laughs> right, right. I totally remember that. That's amazing. So you just have to come up with new. And now, when when you were writing that, like sort of what I was talking about with Mike on our episode was like, were you purposely like let's do a catchphrase, or is it just whatever whatever you threw at the wall and stuck and was worth repeating? I never I never tried deliberately to do a catchphrase. I used the catchphrases like uh, um, you guys were t- you and Mike were talking about uh, where does the school board find them and why do they keep sending them to me? <laughs> right, and. Um, and uh, the Capitano saying that's one sneaky kid and, and uh, the kids in the dungeon saying blue skies, barfy burgers, girls and, and things. Um, I never tried to, to invent a catchphrase, but yeah, some things just stuck. Some things, uh, I forget who came up with the secret sauce. It was either Roger or it was another guy named Josh Morris. Uh, but somebody did, and, and we liked it, so we kept it. Do you, did you have a favorite uh, catchphrase to write for, to write towards? Um, uh, with the, the Capitano the, the, at the firing squad saying, that is one sneaky kid. And uh, I don't do that very well. Um, <laughs> Not bad. And I, I did variations on that. Um, and and I actually did a couple of, of who do you think's in the burgers or what do you think's in the burgers because I was I was you know that was I didn't know that was on the way out until I got there then I found out there was one running gag I did um, that just kind of happened organically now that I'm, now you've got me thinking about it in in the romance and dating episode we we ended up having this whole running gag through the whole show where Vanessa keeps dumping popcorn on Doug's head. And that just happened. It happened once. And then we realized the script was short, so we needed another sketch here, and there just happened to be a bowl of popcorn there. So I said, hey, let's have Vanessa dump it on his head again. (laughs) And then there was another one where we needed another, you know, we made a change to another sketch, and we noticed that there was... Uh, no, we added another movie theater sketch because we had some extra time that day. And it's like, hey, let's write some more movie theater sketches. So while they're in the movie theater, they got popcorn. So the popcorn went on his head again. And, and I think we ended up dumping popcorn on his head three or four times. So that's, I feel like on this show. That's not a catchphrase, but it's a gag. But it's, just, and it's a, a popular thing to drop food or liquid on uh, people's heads. So that's like a, a, a nice thing to add yes. into into that. Yes. Popcorn is is funny on heads. Eight-year-olds think so. And that's, <laughs> that was the key. Exactly. Now, when you, uh, I mean, uh, the show sort of kept going in reruns, but when did it actually end? In, like, 89, I want to say? Roger came back from his two-year uh, uh, sabbatical, and uh, by that time, I was already uh, living my grown-up life. I was, I was even married, uh, which we're not talking about. But uh, he came back, and... Somehow, uh, negotiations between Nickelodeon and him 
brought about another set of episodes in 89 and 90. And um, he and Adam Reed wrote all the scripts. Uh, Adam Reed uh, makes his makes his You Can't Do That Out of Television debut as a, as a full cast member in Outer Space. So there he is. Um, he and Roger wrote the scripts, and uh, I think Roger directed, too. But they had mostly, I think there were like one or two of the old kids that came back. But most of them were whole new kids. And, and they did that set, and the contract ran out, and then that was the end of it. Um, by that time, Nickelodeon had built their studios in Florida, and they were interested in doing their own stuff, like uh, Clarissa Explains It All and, and, and shows like that. And they didn't want to keep you know, outsourcing to this show, to this little TV station in Ottawa anymore. So that was, uh, that was pretty much the end. Well, which is pre- just pretty amazing to that. You just referenced it, but you can't do that on television. Wasn't created for Nickelodeon. It was sort of, no. they Nickelodeon took it and made it their own. Yeah, it was, it, it was this little show at this little TV station in this little town. Um, People talk today about why don't they bring You Can't Do That on Television back. I don't think you could. I, I think the, the, the business model doesn't allow for individual TV stations to do that sort of thing anymore. It's too expensive. And the networks all want their own corporate control over things. And, and so I don't, I don't think it could be done today unless the, the only person I can think of, because I was listening to your... I was listening uh, yesterday to your uh, to your show with Mike, and you were talking about bringing it back. Um, the only I was thinking yesterday, who could bring you can't do that on television back? The only person I could think of was Seth Green because uh, of what he did with uh, Robot Chicken, and and you know if Seth Green could convince Sarah Michelle Gellar to do locker jokes, he could do a new version of you can't do that on television. But uh, it so it would either be Seth Green or Somebody out in the middle of nowhere that we've never heard of. Some some young genius. Yes. Um, going back to the episode for one minute, um, Outer Space, I noticed that Lisa Ruddy, I believe, is one of the characters yes. on the show and one of the mm-hmm. actresses, obviously. Um, yep. There are a lot of fat jokes made at her expense. Oh, Alfred? Yes, Lisa, my dear. Do you know what Christine's favorite star is? Let me guess, uh, Mel Gibson? No, no, not that kind of star. It's serious. Well, yeah, I bet it's serious to her. No, no, it's the star serious. The dog star. It's great. (laughs) The dog? No, it is not great. Lisa, what's Lucy? I was thinking that you should join the space program right away. Really? Why? Well, because out in space, there's complete weightlessness. And then no one would know how tubby you really are. Tubby? Tubby. Okay. Okay. Enough of the fat jokes. I've had it with the fat jokes. Just the same thing we have to get straight here. The fat jokes will stop when you lose a little weight. It's just such a different time, I believe, because I don't think that that would sort of uh, be allowed on Nickelodeon or that, at least that... um, in your face about it. Well, I, I actually, I tell people if there was one thing I had to do over again, I would not have done those uh, because the sensibility, I, the sensibilities of the time allowed that sort of thing. And, and people were allowed to think that was funny, but, but 
now that I am older and wiser and have gray hair that you can't see because the video is not working, um, I I think that was that was one step too far over the line. So I if I had it to do over again, I wouldn't do that. Well, I have to say it's sort of, and I know bullying is like a big thing, but in the in a way, it's still there's something that's not it's there's nothing good about being mean to somebody, but. Mm-hmm. What I like about the show is that it's allowed to be gross. It's allowed to be crude. Um, right. And it's it's not sort of cookie cutter in the way that a lot of kids shows are and were back then. And back then, yes. And, and I think that that's something that, you know, I assume you, since I know that you're such a fan of the show that um, that I think people are drawn to is, is sort of that uh, we don't really care attitude. It's definitely weird to see it, but at the same time, there's something that's like it, it, it harkens back to days of old. That's true. It does. So what I'm saying is, Lisa Ruddy, you are a ter- no. I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, also, I have to ask you. I mean, you're a big fan of the show. Mm-hmm. Do you feel like there's uh, there's something about keeping the show alive that you're into? Uh it's. I don't see it. Do, you, do I see it as my personal cause? No. <laughs> it's. It's a nice thing. I. I love being able to say that I worked on it, uh, and I love seeing people who remember it and and celebrate it. And it's. It's very interesting. There's a. There's a. You can't do that on television. Uh, website. Uh, the initials for you can't do that on television ycdotv did i leave one out anyway uh dot com they have a message board it's pretty active i hang out there and it's it's interesting to see what people remember they'll they'll ask me about really obscure things and and you know why did you have Doug use this word instead of that word? And I'll say, you know, I wrote that sketch on the backside of a piece of paper as an emergency sketch because Doug had barfed in read-through and we weren't sure he was going to be well the next day. (laughs) Yeah. So it's amazing to see what people remember. And as a writer, it's kind of humbling that, that, you know, something that you really worked hard on, no one remembers. And then the thing you whipped out because Doug barfed and read through and you weren't sure he was going to be available the next day <laughs> is what they remember. There's something beautiful about that, I think. There, there is. I noticed online I saw a, a, a small reference to um, you can't do that on television movie back in the 80s. So as a little... Um, what if this actually happened? Do, <laughs> do you want to give just a little bit of a peek inside what what could have happened in that movie? What could have happened? We actually um, we actually sat down, uh, Roger and Alistair and Doug and me, one night around the the table at I think it was at Doug's house actually, or maybe it was at Alistair's house, one of those houses. And we tossed some ideas together. Um, the idea was, uh, the idea actually showed up on the show. It was the Russians wanted to get the secret of green slime. And so they had sent spies to, to learn the secret of green slime. 
And uh, Alistair wanted to throw in a bunch of uh, references to Beatles movies. So we were going to have uh, mobs of girls chasing Alistair around. And in fact, that was how they stopped the spies, is that the spies were just about to get the secret of green slime. And then Alistair would run past them with all these this horde of girls following him. And the girls would trample the spies. And that was how the, the spies were going to get uh, caught at the end. Well, it's amazing because as in 80s fashion, it had to do with the Russians, which I think yes. would, have, would have fit very well with almost any every 80s movie of that era. Yes. Yes. So I, that's what we missed. Um, and, that's what you and, missed. And I, I feel sorry that we didn't live to see it. But hopefully, I don't know that I've ever. I don't know that I've ever told anybody that before. It's never come up. So oh. you got an you got an exclusive, guys. This is this is an exclusive. You just witnessed this <laughs> an, an exclusive. So you heard it here first. Um, so. Why don't you talk about what are, you, you say? You're still writing, obviously. So, yes. do you want to tell people what you're what you're up to now? I want to tell people what I'm up to now. I I still write for kids. Um, I have two books that are currently in print. Uh, they are both historical fictions. One thing I found is that um, I kind of like writing drama because. When you write drama, you can put in jokes and people will laugh. But when you write comedy and you try to put in dramatic bits, people just kind of say, huh, I don't get it. Right. So um, so my two books that are out are, uh, are historical fiction. Uh, they're, for, they're for a middle school audience, although I've had grown-ups read them and, and like them very much. Um, One's uh, called Liberty Girl, and it's about life during uh, the First World War. And the other is called Unswept Graves, and it's about uh, Chinese immigrants in San Francisco in 1898 and and slave girls and things like that. Uh, I had two other books with a different publisher that unfortunately are out of print now. And then for my next book, which is coming out next year... I'm kind of changing gears. I'm actually going back to comedy, uh, and uh, I'm trying to launch a a series that uses uh, storytelling to teach math concepts. Um, The idea is that the main character can see uh, ghosts and vampires and werewolves and things, and they ask her math problems because uh, monsters are bad at math. You have to remember that monsters are bad at math. Wait a minute. I'm bad at math. Am I a monster? Uh, no, that's, that's, that's the reverse logic. Okay. Monsters are bad at math, but people who are bad at math are not necessarily monsters. And, so I, and I already not get... to see that logic shows that you are bad at math. Yeah, but, but now I've learned that logic, so it goes yes. to show that you're a good logic teacher, meaning you're a good math teacher, That meaning that your book is a solid argument. I was... I was raised by math teachers. My parents were both math teachers for junior high and high school now. They're both retired now, but my mom still tutors. But you can find my books at, at I have an author website. It's uh, rablack.com. Or you can look up Royal Fireworks Press, which is my publisher. Uh, and there are rfwp.com. Go to Google and put Royal Fireworks Press. You'll find them. 
Well, I thank you so much, Robert, for for uh, coming on the show, talking about You Can't Do That on Television, and I appreciate uh, your time. Great. It was great. Thank you for, for having me. This is, it was a lot of fun. I'd like to thank my guest, Robert Black, for, first of all, contacting me out of nowhere uh, and uh, talking to me about uh, You Can't Do That on Television. He got in touch with me, uh, emailed me. We got on Skype together. I just talked to... Uh, somebody who wrote on a TV show that I loved growing up. That's pretty cool. I appreciate uh, it, Robert. And I appreciate you guys for listening to the show. If you're a fan of the show, follow me on Twitter at Craig Rowan. Why not go to uh, It's That Episode podcast on Facebook or just tell a friend that you like the show. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next week. Have a great night and an early mañana. Adios, amigos. (laughs) 